there's really a lot going on with kids. There's a lot going on in their inner, their inner thoughts. There's a lot of misunderstanding between kids and to be able to show what it looks like from both sides, I think really gives your kids an opportunity to walk through that perspective taking and really see that everybody has their own perspective, has faults, has flaws, but also has things to celebrate. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. This week's episode is all about empathy, something that has come up many, many times on this show, but somehow in over 200 episodes, we've never had an entire episode devoted to empathy as a topic. So I'd say it's about time, and there's no better person to talk about empathy then frequent friend of the show and all around awesome human, Amanda Morin. For those of you who might not be familiar with Amanda's work yet, she's a writer, a parent advocate, a former teacher and current in-house expert for one of my favorite go-to resources, Understood. Amanda's newest book is called What is Empathy? A Bullying Storybook for Kids, which I had the chance to review and I just have to say it is so well done. In our conversation, we talk about Amanda's new book and how it differs from other anti-bullying books, as well as how to cultivate empathy in our children, how empathy relates to differently wired kids, and the importance and power of parenting from a place of empathy. This is such an important topic for the time we're living in, and I'm so grateful for Amanda's insights and her gentle demeanor. I guarantee you're going to feel more calm and mindful after you listen to this episode. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Amanda. Hello, Amanda, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me again. It's good to talk to you again. It's always a pleasure. And I'm really excited about this conversation because I had a chance to check out your book in advance and I just absolutely loved it. And it sparks such an important conversation on so many levels for this community. So I'm excited about that. And I would love before we get to our main topic, would you just take a few minutes to introduce yourself in whatever way you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Amanda Morin. I'm a parent to differently wired kids. I'm a writer and senior expert with understood.org, a former teacher and an author of a number of books, including the new one that is just coming out called What is Empathy? A Bullying Storybook for Kids, which is why we're having this conversation today. That was a very concise introduction. Well done. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) So, okay. We're going to talk about empathy through many different lenses today. I want to hear about your book. But even before we get into that, let's just talk about empathy. It's something that I feel like I've learned and continue to learn more and more about just as a parent and how I use it and the importance of it in day to day life. And I know Brene Brown has done so much work around introducing this idea of empathy versus sympathy. So can you talk about empathy as a concept? You know, how do you define it? And why is it so important? So it's a skill, I think, first of all. And so when you say you're learning it over and over again, you keep learning it, I feel the same way. I think it's a skill that we just develop over time. Um, And I love the way Brene Brown talks about it as being different from sympathy. I think empathy is 
a way of being compassionate towards other people and learning to think of things in other perspectives and putting aside your own feelings to sort through what they're thinking about, why it, they may be acting the way they are, why you may be seeing um, them feel sad or feel happy or, or any of those kinds of things. I think the difference between empathy and sympathy is really important because when we look at somebody with sympathy, it's more of a sort of like, this is happening to you and I feel sorry that this is happening to you rather than I'm here with you in the middle of this experience. And I think that's what empathy really is, is that compassion to be there with somebody and be part of their experience without making them other than you. Yeah, so interesting. Okay. And already, I feel like there's three directions that I can can go in with that sure, answer. Because yeah. um, I just makes me wonder, you know, you said this is a skill, you mentioned that yes, we this is something we develop over time. And I'm just wondering, you know, this focus on helping our kids develop empathy, this was not really a factor when we were kids, was it? I mean, I don't remember. I mean, I remember feeling feelings about other people or feeling sorry for other people, their plight of people who had challenging life circumstances. But can you talk about that in con- like empathy in context of, of our childhoods? That's really interesting. I I hadn't actually thought about that, but I don't remember that as part of my childhood either. Although I will say that I think I am a sort of naturally empathetic person. And there are sort of different ways to look at empathy um, that are interesting. I think, especially when we're talking about like differently wired kids, there's what we call cognitive empathy, which is the ability to like really think about what somebody else is feeling in their perspective. And it's not necessarily like feeling it with them, but it's thinking about it in a way that you can respond appropriately. And then there's something called affective empathy, which is really that ability to sort of feel with somebody. Um, I'm an effective empathetic person. So if somebody's crying, I sort of cry with them. Even if I'm not feeling that sadness, I can sort of like, I just feel their sadness and I'm, and I'm with them in that moment. And I think that what we didn't have growing up was people teaching us that perspective taking. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I remember learning some, you do something wrong. So you say, I'm sorry, but I never thought through why I'm saying I'm sorry or why I hurt somebody or how I hurt somebody else's feelings or those kinds of things. And so I think right now, what's really interesting with our kids is we're starting to really hopefully teach them the skills to see why their own actions impact other people and how their, their interactions interact with other people and how what you say affects what somebody says back and, and all of those kinds of things. And that's all really rolled into this idea of empathy and perspective taking. Um, I think we are in a time that is really ripe for the need to be empathetic. You know, we live very sort of online lives. We live sort of distant from each other and the ability to really see that there are different perspectives in the world is what makes our kids really good global citizens. Yeah. And and even as you're saying that, I'm thinking about just like we listeners, we're not going to get into politics. That's not something I blend with this show. However, likely everyone listening to this falls somewhere, you know, on their side of the political spectrum. And it's something I noticed too, when we're raising kids, how do you raise kids so that they can see or understand that there are kids like them on the other side, kind of, again, that perspective taking. So it is really a part of our lives in so many ways. 
And I definitely think the interesting thing about empathy is it's a way to connect. And it's a way to see that as humans, we're more alike than we are different. And so when we're talking about perspective taking and empathy, the one thing that I always want to make really clear to people is that you can see somebody else's perspective and not agree with it. And you can still believe that that's the way they experience the world and feel for them and really connect with them. And I think that that sort of speaks to the, the fact that we can learn to hear other people without having to agree with them. And that's something that I think kids really need to learn because I think um, we're really, as a society, I think just generally, we're really quick to, to jump to wrong and right instead of seeing the grays in between. Yeah. And that's so important, especially for so many of our kids are concrete black and white thinkers. So it is even more important, perhaps for those kids that we help them see those grays. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know that's something I work on with my kids quite a bit. I, um, <laughs> as you know, I have three and they're in age range from adult to 10. Um, so they're at various stages in their empathetic development. And, um, you know, one is really good at the, the feeling empathy, but not expressing it verbally as well. And then I have another who is really like metacognitive and he can talk about how he can see other people's perspectives and what he knows he should be feeling towards that. But he, it's like almost like he doesn't quite have the ability yet to show that he feels it, but he can talk about it. And I think that's a really good start. Super interesting. And I know that for, you know, I've heard from so many parents and probably have felt this myself when Asher was younger, that some of these kids don't seem to recognize that anyone else exists outside of themselves. And you have a lot of parents who are worried, like, what does this mean? Does it mean my right. child is a sociopath or, you know, that they can feel feelings or, you know, they might hurt someone on the playground and have no idea that what they've done caused a certain reaction. So can you speak to that if there are parents listening who are concerned their kids are not feeling empathy and what does that mean? Sure. And I, and I think I would start by saying, take a breath, <laughs> that, that it's, it's a process and it's a developmental process too. And, you know, I have a background in child development. So I'm always thinking about this from a developmental perspective. Um, what you're talking about is theory of mind, that ability to understand that other people are thinking things that are not the same thing you're thinking. Um, I remember so clearly the first time I, I recognized that I remember, I, I don't know, I was in a park somewhere when I was a kid, I was like 10. And I remember looking around and seeing people on the park benches. And all of a sudden I had this moment when I went, all of these people are thinking different things about their own lives than I'm thinking right now. And it was this just moment of like, holy cow, everybody in the world is thinking their own thing. And I think our kids aren't always there yet. Like we have to point that out to them. I know that I often spend a lot of time with my younger one who, um, Benjamin, who does a lot of, um, starting in the middle of a thought, he'll talk to me as if I know what's going on in his head. Um, I think a lot of kids do that. And I'll have to say, I don't know what you're thinking. So I need you to back up and tell me what you're thinking. And then he'll do a lot of things like, do you think that person is thinking this? And I'll say, I don't know because I'm not inside that person's head. But in a situation like this, what would you be thinking? And I think it's a matter of just starting to point out those moments and not expecting that theory of mind is something that kids just automatically have because their experience of the world is like really contained to themselves until they start seeing 
that other people have their own lives and that the other people can start expressing their own lives. And that's part of it is because kids don't always talk to each other about what they're thinking. They talk about what they're doing. They talk about what they love. They talk about those kinds of things, but they don't always talk about like those inner thoughts. And that's the part that I think we need to start helping kids do is talk about their inner thoughts in a way that other people can see, oh, you're not thinking the same thing I am. And so how you heard me say that may have sounded different than the way I intended it to. You know, those kinds of things are really key skills to start teaching. And like, as an adult, I know I'm still learning them. And there are days where I have to back up and say to people, I think that came out differently than I meant it to. And here's what I was thinking when I said it to you. Yeah. And I, can I just say that I love that you remember that moment when you realized other people, like I can see that. And I kind of like, I don't remember exactly where I was. I think I might've been in the bathtub, uh, probably around the same age as you and, and had this, it's almost like an existential, like, oh my God, like you can, it was, it was life altering, right? It's like an epiphany. You kind of realize, wow, there's an entire world of people. And they all have their own lives. And it's just such a mind boggling thing because how many people are in the world and they're all thinking different things. Um, it's just such a big and really personal thing to think at the same time because all of a sudden you're realizing like humanity is all the same, but all different at the same time. It's so, I don't know. I, I just remember it so clearly because I remember thinking it was such a pivotal moment. I remember even having that thought about Asher, like at a certain point, you know, because when our kids are really yeah. little, we just assume that we know everything about them because we right. we don't even see them as their own beings. And at a certain point, I was like, oh, he has an inner life. He has an inner world that right. I am not privy to. And that was mind blowing to me. I remember that too. With each of my kids, I remember having that thought of like, whoa, they're not mine anymore. And then I had that moment where I was like, they weren't mine to start with. Mm-hmm. They're their own people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can we talk just for a little bit about, you mentioned cognitive empathy and effective empathy. And when you're discussing that, I was thinking about friends who identify as empaths. And it sounds like that's what you identify as. I do not. I am someone who and it can sound callous. I am not an empath, but I am someone who can hold a space for, for someone who is hurting and not get enmeshed in that emotional experience. And I know that that's not, I know that people respond differently. And I know that a lot of differently wired kids, what we were talking about may have lagging empathetic skills. Some experience it too much, right? Right. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And I think, I think I just want to back up and say like, you are an incredibly empathetic person. um, And I feel it. So whatever you're doing is working well. So (laughs) I think it's great. Um, you know, the idea of empath, I've always sort of been on the fence of using that phrase, but as I get older and realize that I really do sort of take on other people's feelings, I'm realizing it, it, it is a thing, right? Being an empath really is kind of a, um, an interesting thing. And I think it can actually sometimes get in the way. And I think that's what we see sometimes with differently wired kids who are really feeling other people's feelings and they can't sort them out from their own feelings. And that's, I think that's one of the downsides of affective empathy, which is also, I think sometimes called emotional empathy instead of ability sort of like feeling along with somebody else, like their, their emotions are most contagious. And sometimes I know that I have to find a quiet space to back away because when, you know, at work or something, everybody's sort of overwhelmed by 
you know, a change at work or something we had to, to do that's a big project, I can feel all of their emotions and I have to walk away and separate out what I'm actually feeling myself. And I think like it can help you get along with other people, but it can get in the way sometimes too, because I think you can't always think rationally and, and think through how you can talk to people or leave space for them when you're feeling their feelings. But I think that there's sort of this blend that people that I, that I think what you're talking about is that blend of being able to, to hold space for people, know that they're feeling something, take their perspective, ask about it and talk to them without having to feel it with them to just let them know you're there with them. And that's sort of like this blend. And I, I've heard that called compassionate empathy. And I really love that phrase. Compassionate empathy is that ability to sort of both feel with somebody, but at a distance enough that you can also really talk to them about their experience as if it's their experience and not yours at the same time. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. 
Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. So, okay, I want to make sure that we spend a nice chunk of time discussing your book. So as I mentioned, I had a chance to read it ahead of time, and I just thought it was so inventive and creative in the way that you presented this concept and presented this idea of perspective taking. So can you just tell us a little bit about the book and how it came about? Sure. So the book is called What is Empathy? A Bullying Storybook for Kids. Um, And I always think it's kind of funny because it's really an anti-bullying storybook, but that's not the way the (laughs) phrase works, I guess. And this is actually kind of a funny story because um, the publisher came to me and said, we, we know you know a lot about empathy. We know that this is one of your spaces of expertise. Can you write a kid's book? And I thought, no, I don't know how to write a kid's book, but I'm going to say, yes, I can write a kid's book. So I <laughs> always um, say yes. <laughs> always say yes, right? <laughs> it's it's the yes and. Yes and I will figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and started thinking about it, what I realized is the way to really take kids through the journey of empathy is to show them what it looks like. And so I started thinking about this and I started thinking about like what kinds of bullying we tend to see when we're talking about school kids and a lot of it's social and relational bullying. So kids who are um, sort of bullying through friendship or not, or withdrawing friendship and that kind of stuff. And so I started thinking about like, what does that look like? And came up with this idea of these two characters, Ava and Sophia, who are just best, best friends. They've been best friends since they couldn't even remember that they were best friends. And I thought about what would happen if one of them had another friend? What would happen if somebody else got entered that mix? And so I started telling this story of Sophia and Ava, and one of them was being left out of the situation, and she was feeling really sad and and all of this stuff. And then I realized it wasn't a journey of empathy because we were only seeing one side of it. So I started telling the story twice. And what I did was I told Sophia's story and told about how Sophia and Ava were best friends and all the reasons they were best friends and what that looked like. And Sophia's experience of being left out and feeling really bullied and feeling really sad. And um, everybody sort of explained to her what empathy is and, and how she should look at this through Ava's eyes too. And then I realized in order for it to be really effective, we needed to see both perspectives. So I started telling the story the second time around through Ava's eyes. So you can see the same story unfolding in different ways. The same events happen, but you're getting the idea of what's happening in each character's head at the same time. And I had so much fun writing it because I could really get into this idea of there's really a lot going on with kids. There's a lot going on in their inner, their inner thoughts. There's a lot of misunderstanding between kids. And to be able to show what it looks like from both sides, I think really gives your kids an opportunity to walk through that perspective taking and really see that everybody has their own perspective, has faults, has flaws, but also has things to celebrate. And I just loved doing it. It was so much fun. Once I got done, I would thought, oh, I did write a kid's story. And it's one that I would love to read. (laughs) It's fun. And one of the things that I really wanted to make sure I put in there were guiding questions for parents or educators to really help them understand 
what empathy looks like and how to lead their kids through that journey. And so in the beginning of the book, there's a letter to parents and it has some guiding questions on, you know, what you can ask throughout the book and how you can prompt kids to see different things in the story. And then there's also a letter to kids that talks about empathy as being sort of a curious and kind way of looking at things and that they're going to be detectives and figuring out what's going on with their friends. But the one thing I really wanted to make clear in both of those letters was that just because you can see somebody else's perspective doesn't mean you can let them hurt your feelings or hurt your body or or hurt you in any way. So I was really clear in saying that bullying happens and you can see somebody else's perspective and you can still speak up and say, this is not right. So I tried to blend all of these things together in a way that kids could understand. And um, I'm very happy with the outcome. And I'm hoping that that um, a lot of kids will benefit from it. And a lot of parents will too, because it's a hard thing to explain to kids. Yeah, I mean, I, there is so much in there. And just hearing you describe it again, there are so many layers. And I would even say that you know, bullying is a, it's a big word, right? And it's something that I know can be thrown around a lot. And there is, it's, I feel like it's just something that people discuss a lot. Well, that's not bullying, or they're quick to call something bullying. But even if you take the bullying aspect out of this, or that relational aggression, or however you want to describe that, there's so many opportunities in reading through the this book with your kids to to really just consider that everything that we do impacts other people and can be interpreted in a myriad of ways. And that to me was just so powerful. And I think that you accomplished what you set out to do because it wasn't an easy task to take on. And I think it's just really, really well done. And just, again, so many opportunities to really help our kids get this concept, which is a tricky one. Yeah, well, thank you. And I and I will also just give a shout out to the illustrator. Um, I'm not a picture thinker. And the illustrator, um, his name is John Joseph, did such a beautiful job of really just bringing to life these characters in a way that you can see their emotions too, which I think is really helpful. Um, not just to hear what they're feeling, but to see it on their faces is really um, extraordinary. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, just the thing that I've been thinking about throughout this conversation is the conversations that I've had with Ash when he was younger, especially even just misinterpreting or finding other people's actions in the world or their quote unquote behavior annoying or, or whatever. Right. And, you know, especially with many of our kids who, again, the theory of mind is lagging and they may not recognize that the thing that is frustrating or strange to them and someone else is what other people are seeing about them. So I yeah. think there's a lot of opportunity too to take some of the language and use that to expand that conversation. Well, I think that that's the benefit of having been both a teacher and a parent too. And writing this book is I could really draw on the conversations I'd had with my own kids and I could pressure test it, right? You know, I could say to a 10 year old, Hey, is this something somebody would say? And he'd say like, I never heard a kid say that before mom. And I would say, what would they say in a situation like this? And he could give me back language that all of a sudden I realized like, Oh, this is how children really think about the world. And I know, I know there have been plenty of times where I've had those conversations that you talk about too, where I've said, you know, 
I hear you. And I really hear that you're feeling frustrated. Can we just take a minute and think about what might be happening on the other side of this? Um, you know, and sometimes my kids have been really willing to, and sometimes they've been like, no, I've been harmed. I've been, you know, wronged in this situation. And so we haven't been able to have that conversation, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times it's been, I hadn't thought about it that way. I hadn't thought that maybe this kid was just trying to get my attention or, or that they were feeling hurt by something I did or said. And I think those are the opportunities that I really want to bring to light for people is to be able to have those conversations and, and really think through that. Not, I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's like a balance because you don't want kids to think that everything they do is going to impact everybody because that can be paralyzing, right? You know, you can get really stuck in your own thoughts, but to just think through a little more thoughtfully around if you see somebody's reaction and it doesn't match what you would expect, that that's a time to investigate why. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. 
However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Yes, and especially again with our kids who really may not read social cues very well, especially there can be so much misinterpretation and then quick decision-making based on that misinterpretation, right? Yeah. I don't want to be friends with this person because this, this, and this. And so I think I love the phrasing that you used when you were explaining how you would talk about this with your own kids. And I think that that is just good to remember the language and just if the, the phrase is like, what do you think might be going on for her? Or I wonder what she's feeling about this situation. What do you think? You know, like just even having those open-ended questions can be a nice little prompts. Open-ended questions are the best questions, I think, like just across the board. If you can ask a question that isn't going to get you a one-word answer, it really opens up dialogue. Um, And I think for me, the other thing that I've really worked hard on with my own children is teaching them the power of I statements versus you statements and, and that's something that I talk about in the book for parents and, and whoever else is reading the, the caregivers who are reading the book is the power of saying, I don't feel good when you yell at me and I need a moment versus you're yelling at me and I don't like that, right? There's a difference between referring to something in the way it affects you as opposed to like putting the blame on somebody else. It makes it much easier to have a conversation and understand each other. Yeah, those when you I feel statements, we've been using yep. them forever, it feels like. And and it is nice because now when you're used to saying those things, if if a kid says, you make me blah, 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 it's like, I actually don't make you, <laughs> make right. you do anything. Right. Just exactly. so we're clear. And that's, that's a phrase we use in our house too. I don't think I've made you do that. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I want to, before we say goodbye, can we just pivot and talk about parenting with empathy, because I'd like to kind of wrap it all around. I feel like I'm getting a lot of opportunity to practice being empathetic as you know, we're recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we're spending a lot of time with our kids, everyone's emotions are kind of heightened. Um, We're experiencing all kinds of ebbs and flows. And and our kids often need to just vent or experience what they're experiencing and share with us. So can you talk about the role of empathy as a parent. Definitely. And I think I'll start by saying like, I do my best at it. And I think we all do our best at it. And we have good days, and we have bad days. But if you can sort of go into it with the attitude of I'm going to try to be empathetic, that's a really good start. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I talk to parents about when I have this conversation is the idea of like the platinum rule versus the golden rule. Like we always sort of grow up with this golden rule, like treating others the way you'd like them to treat you. But empathy really is sort of more about the platinum rule of treating others the way they need to be treated. So to be able to start thinking through what is it my child needs in this moment. And sometimes we assume that. So I always think you need to ask instead and not assume. And I think that goes back to like our kids who don't read verbal cues, nonverbal cues all that well. You know, sometimes I will look at one of my children and they all be like, why are you so grumpy? And they'll say to me, I'm not grumpy at all. I don't, and I, and I have to back up and say, Oh, you looked kind of grumpy. And I was wondering if you're feeling grumpy, you know, so those things where you have to sort of stop yourself and, and not make assumptions and 
don't jump into fix it mode and let them vent. And those kinds of things are really important. I have learned over the years to really be a detective in those situations. Like I'm gathering information. I'm making sure I understand it correctly. I'm listening and I'm affirming that I'm hearing what I'm hearing. So like sentences like, could you tell me a little bit more? Or what do you need from me right now? Or what is it that I need to understand in this situation are always sentences I try to run to when I'm feeling frustrated and like I'm not getting what's going on with my own kids because it gives them the chance to tell me instead of me assuming. And then that ability to like reflect it back and say, okay, so what I hear you saying is this, is that right? Or did I get this quite right? Or, you know, and sometimes, you know, I will say, you know, I have a teenager too. And sometimes he's like, mom, don't do that with me. Come on, please just, just don't do that. And so I'll be like, okay, so just tell me what you need to tell me. But I think sometimes it's just that ability to point out to them sometimes what they're showing you is important, especially with our differently wired kids, because they're not always aware of what their body language is putting across. So to be able to say like, what you look like to me right now, what I'm seeing from you right now is like, you're really uncomfortable. Like you're not, you're not comfortable having this conversation. It gives them the opportunity to either tell you you're right or you're not and tell you something else instead. And I think those are the things that I, as a parent, try to work on all the time is to make sure that I'm not telling my kids what they feel and I'm giving them space to tell me what they feel and, and to just know that feelings exist and they're not right and they're not wrong. I think to be able to say like, I hear that you're feeling that and, and I get it and I, I appreciate you sharing it with me is not the same thing as like, you have every right to feel that way. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we jump to giving kids the right to feel what they feel instead of just saying like, I hear that you feel that. Um, there's so much that goes into it. And I feel like I'm just going on and on and on. No, this is great. I think it is really nuanced. And I think I love, again, the language that you shared, I think is so helpful. That phrase, what do you need for me right now is a wonderful question. Um, reflecting and then saying, is that right? Did I get that right? Is great. So what I'm curious about is when we're empathizing with our kids and they're experiencing something and we're saying these things that you've just shared with us and we say, I appreciate you shared that with me. Thank you so much. Is that where it ends? Like we don't ever have to go to any sort of solution. Is it okay to just say, thanks for letting me know how you're feeling? That's, I could see how that might be hard. And it's, and then we can just kind of exit stage left or, you know, is that where the conversation ends? I think it really depends on your child at that moment, right? Because sometimes it is where the conversation ends. And sometimes it's a matter of, of circling back to the, what do you need from me right now? Right? So you've shared all of this with me. Do you want me to help you figure out a solution? Or did you want me to just hear you? And I think those are the two important things. Is there something else I can do to help you? Right? And I think that we need to sort of follow kids lead in that situation and then just keep checking in because it, you know, from, from moment to moment, they may change their mind and just being like, okay, so if you want to talk about this again, I'm around. Um, and sometimes I will tell you quite frankly, there are times when I say to my kids, but you got to get me before 8 PM, right? <laughs> you know, like we had this conversation at 4 PM. Um, try to get back to me before I'm really exhausted and not my best self. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. But we can't always plan that. But I think just keeping it open is really helpful. 
Um, the other thing I would say is using that phrase, like, what do you need from me right now is really powerful. But I know that I've learned that I have to watch my tone when I say it, because it can come out really wrong sometimes when I say it, like, the difference between what do you need from me right now? And what do you need from me right now? sounds really different. It's nuanced. And I think our kids who don't always hear that nuance may need you to say a different phrase. Like, is there something I can do for you right now? Is there something I can help you with? Because they may hear the phrase differently than you intended. Yes. Okay. So this is just such an important conversation. I think, again, this is ongoing work and when we can show up to our kids with this empathetic state, I think we get the best outcomes. I mean, the the alternative is what the the fix it mode, the unsolicited advice mode, the shutdown mode, right? Right. You know, and I think it just makes us better humans too. The more we're practicing empathy with our own families, the more we're going to generalize it to the rest of the world. And for me, that's a goal. It's like a life goal is to make sure that I'm seeing the best in people as much as I possibly can. And so it starts at home for me. And how do our kids um, benefit from this? You know, if they're going through a rough time or feeling some really big emotions, can you just talk about, I guess, the power of empathy in terms of how it can, in my experience, it can help us move through something much more quickly or resolve something or, you know, get to the other side of a big emotion in a much more productive way than when I choose to not go in with that mindset. Definitely. And I think for kids, what it is sometimes is the ability to know they're not alone in this really matters. Um, We have a lot of kids who are in their heads a lot of the time, right? And I think that's that's the beauty and also the challenge of having kids who learn, think differently or differently wired is there's so much going on in their heads at all times. And I think a lot of times they feel really alone with that and being able to give them the opportunity to say, I can't necessarily fix this, but I'm here to listen to you. Even if you're just processing out loud and I'm just sort of the person that you talk at, at the moment, it gives them the opportunity to realize like there are people in the world who care. There are people who want to listen and that they can start being that person for somebody else too, if they're seeing it being modeled. Hmm. Great. Wonderful. All right. Well, Amanda, um, thank you so much for this conversation. It's just such a rich conversation. And again, so many facets that we can dive into. Uh, Listeners, the book is What is Empathy? A Bullying Storybook for Kids. It comes out on April 28th. And Amanda, is there anywhere else that listeners can connect with you? Yep, they can find me on Twitter at Amanda Morin. Um, They can find me on Facebook too. And they can always email me. I'm at everythingspecialed at gmail.com. Wonderful. Listeners, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes page. Amanda, thank you so much. What a nice thing to do is spend an hour with you on a Thursday afternoon in the midst of chaos in the outside world. You're very calming presence. So thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. 
Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note for me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.